You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This business talk show airs live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at our special time of 3 p.m. All of our shows can be heard exclusively here on octalkradio.net, Orange County's only community radio station. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, we encourage you to consider listening to the show live during our broadcast times. This show is brought to you by our commercial sponsors, Succession Strategies, Smart Business Magazine, Decision Toolbox, The Center Club, and Vanguard University. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience, to make better and more informed decisions. We do that by interviewing CEOs and top executives of middle market companies who have experience that we can learn from and hopefully adopt or adapt into our business for greater success. Our first guest today is Colin Day. He is president and CEO of ISOMS, and we're going to be talking about Recruiting and Maintaining Great Talent. Colin's company, Isoms, is going to talk about how to use software as a service to make an effective way to create talent-based solutions. Colin, welcome to Critical Mass Radio Show. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Colin, let's start by focusing just for a moment on you. Can you talk a little bit about your professional background, kind of your path to Isoms? Uh, it wasn't a very long path, to tell you the truth. I started the company when I was 23 years old. Um, but uh, to go before that, uh, I have to say it, it actually all started, uh, believe it or not, with a girlfriend. I uh, graduated from Cornell University and uh, had a very serious girlfriend at the time who told me she wanted to go home uh, to the sort of New Jersey area. So limited my search to New Jersey and happened to stumble upon a uh, staffing firm named Comrise Technology. And uh, they pitched me on a dream, which was come in, uh, learn a trade, learn how to be a great recruiter, uh, and then kind of take that experience and uh, run and try to open up your own business. And uh, they really made good on the promise, and uh, that's essentially what uh, eventually led its way to uh, to Iceland. Did you always know you were going to be an entrepreneur? Uh, I always had a bit of a sense. Uh, My uh, father uh, started his own uh, company. So I had a a great role model there. I also had an uncle that ran his own company. So there was a lot of it in the family. I I found myself writing a ton of business plans. Uh, Right right when I got out of school, I was always trying to write business plans and come up with them. And uh, um, uh, unfortunately, almost every business plan I wrote, I then managed to sort of sleep on it and and convince myself that it was going to be almost impossible to do what I'd written down. But uh, you know, it, ironically, uh, the one that did happen uh, just happened to sort of stumble upon um, in, in that it was uh, the company that I was currently working with that had built the beginnings of this software platform. Uh, so uh, thankfully, uh, was was there at the right moment and took it and ran. All right, let's turn our attention to the firm that you've created that you continue to grow and scale, Isoms. First of all, Isoms is, um, I'm, I'm saying the name, I assume it's an acronym, so let's start there. <laughs> Give me the sense for the background on the name before we get into the company itself. <laughs> it's, it's something, actually, we, do, we don't talk about too much. It, it is a bit of a mouthful, I think. Uh, it was actually designed by a staffing firm named Comrade Technology. That's what the early days of it, um, and before we sort of took it out and spun out a company and made a commercial. Um, and at the time, we were used to calling it uh, SIMS, which was Comrade's Information Management System. And... Uh, I think we just got so used to calling it this that, that when we did eventually start a new company and, and sort of buy the rights to that software, um, it, it just made sense to sort of keep the same acronym, uh, toss a little uh, red eye in front of it. Everyone was doing that in the early <laughs> days of, uh, of SAS. Right. And uh, and then, unfortunately, you know, you, you can't explain that it was Comrise's information management system. So, so we came up with a clever sort of acronym of Internet Collaborative Information Management Systems. But... Uh, that is a total mouthful, uh, so, so we stick with ISIM. So let's, let's help the audience to understand who, who maybe the, the audience of CEOs and business owners of middle market companies from across the country that listen to our show to learn about their peers and learn from their peers. Tell us a little bit about your firm, the services that you offer. I kind of teased a little bit about your business model, which you've also then kind of filled in a little bit more. I'd like you to hit on that. And then what makes your firm 
different. Why do people choose ISOMs in your category over other competitors or companies that they could choose to do business with? Sure. Um, so I guess starting out in the mile high and then kind of diving diving our way in, uh, ISIMS is a software as a service company. Um, you, we're very picky about that word software as a service. Uh, you, you sort of hear we, we we don't think all SaaS is created equal. Um, but uh, within software as a service, we're in the uh, HCM or human capital management marketplace. Uh, so really, software that focuses in on people uh, and employees, which. Uh, Quite a hot space, obviously, with with Workday in it, and Cornerstone, and uh, Taleo, and Success Factors, who were picked off by Oracle and SAP. But then diving even deeper than that, unlike most of our brethren who who uh, tried to really do everything in human capital management, uh, we've uniquely sort of focused in on talent acquisition, um, really believing that that talent acquisition kind of is its own unique beast. It deserves a vendor that focuses on it, um, and really it deserves its own suite of solutions. Uh, so, so that's really what our mantra has been, to try to pull together all of the software suite just focused in on talent acquisition. So uh, we have tools to help companies source passive candidates, uh, tools to help them recruit you know, active applicants, onboard new employees, um, and then we've got a whole series of tools that, that either help companies attract candidates to their, their company um, or if they're attracting enough, uh, help, help them screen candidates. So uh, it really is, again, just a very focused, pure SaaS company. And what type of clients um, do business with you? What kind of companies, what size? Can you give us a general sense for the type of clients that you have in your portfolio? Um, so I would say at this point, uh, they're really all sizes, all industries. That's just one of the beauties of staying focused is, is, is that we could make it highly, highly configurable uh, so that it could suit the needs of, of you know clients that are very small all the way up to some of the largest out there, companies like Amazon and Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Sodexo, et cetera. So I, the, the majority of our customers, if you had to sort of narrow it down, um, lie in what we would call sort of growing mid-market organizations. Um, so it's say, you know, they're, they're typically above 500 employees, maybe getting up to about 5,000 or 10,000 employees. But uh, recently, we've, we've also seen tremendous success above that um, as, as companies are sort of migrating off older generation SaaS products at the very high end, uh, as well as what we call BSB, very small business. Uh, we have an offering called iSIMS Now, which literally is pre-configured, pre-packaged, put in a credit card, use it today. Um, so, again, really sort of all segments um, and all industries. The audience uh, demographic for a radio show, as I said in the open, $100 million in revenue and smaller. I call that middle market. The employee population can range based on the business model that they're in, so we sort of look at it more from a revenue perspective. But it certainly sounds yep. with your... Uh, ISIMs now and your and your other software offerings that you have solutions that that listen audience members that are listening to the show today could consider using for their talent acquisition part of their business model. I think the hundred percent. You know, we 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 see it can be companies that honestly are are ten employees but expect to you know double triple quadruple in size, um, or it could be companies over ten thousand employees. So. I think the beauty of the model is it's really priced um, by segment, uh, so we want to make it cost-effective really no matter what the size of the organization. We're talking with Colin Day, CEO and President of ISIMS, and we're going to take our first commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. Colin, when I come back, I'd, I'd like you to think about and discuss with our audience we, what we call here on the radio program your guiding principle. That's from our perspective. You have a lot of experience and lessons that you've learned through your career I'd like to know kind of at your essence, you know, what have you distilled it down to that you believe has become your overarching belief? In other words, your guiding principle. So Colin Day, ladies and gentlemen, will be answering that question and others that we've had him. We're prepared to ask him today on the radio program. But first, we're going to take a short time out to hear from our commercial sponsors. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire? 
or try and pass that business on to your children. At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And at the end of the day, the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. So United Way is asking you to make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Be a reader. Tutor or mentor. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge now at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. All right, this is Rick Franzi, and I'd welcome you back to this episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who've downloaded our radio show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 10,000 shows during the last 30 days. We here at the program appreciate your continued and growing support. All of our shows can be heard live here on Internet Radio Station OCTalkRadio.net, or they can be rebroadcast anytime from iTunes, Stitcher.com, and other business-oriented podcasting services. All right, let's bring our attention back to our first guest on the program, Colin Day. He is CEO and President of ISIMS. And before the break, Colin, I said I was going to ask you to share a bit of your guiding principle with our audience. Would you do that now, please? <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, if I could distill it down, uh, I think what we landed on really early, when we got out into the marketplace, um, it, it was extraordinarily crowded. There, there were probably hundreds of vendors trying to do recruitment software and applicant tracking. And uh, I think the good news is we had a couple of years just to kind of sit back while we were developing it and, and take a look at the marketplace and kind of figure out, you know, what did people like, what did people not like. And uh, the, 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 the sort of universal cardinal sin that we were hearing in our industry was that uh, the customer service was, was, was just lacking um, across all of our competitors. And we thought, Man, that's got to be the opportunity. That's got to be what obviously we need to try to figure out you know, how to do this right. And uh, I think we landed on a guiding principle very, very early on, um, which is uh, you just can't be good at customer service if you're not good at software as a service. Um, and we took that really seriously because we, we were taking a look at some of the other SaaS vendors, and I sort of pause when I say SaaS because you can't see the air quotes that I'm putting out there. But uh, um, and 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 we really we sort of tongue in cheek. We sort of said not all SaaS is created equal. There 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 seems to be what we kind of call ghetto SaaS out there, or sort of a generation one SaaS. Um, and then there's really pure SaaS. And uh, we just looked out. We saw a lot of these competitors kind of you know not staying true to the sort of religious tenets of SaaS. They they were customizing code. Uh, they were putting different customers on different products, on mm -hmm. different versions and releases. Uh, they were doing some local installs, some up on the SaaS model. Uh, and uh, I think when, when we just took a look at that, we said that that's extraordinarily difficult to get customer service right when, when you're starting to having to track down all of these legacy codes and different versions and releases. So we uh, literally, when we started the company, we, we painted on the walls build for the good of the platform, uh, which is, you know, listen, the customers are going to tell you a lot of things mm -hmm. and, and a lot of great features that you should be building. But at the end of the day, you, you've got to build for the good of the platform, for the good of the family. Um, and, and really proud to say that, that we do feel that we're sort of one of the few vendors in our industry where we can say it really is pure SaaS. Uh, 2,000 plus customers, all on the same code, all on the same release, never been customized. Uh, just you know, leads leads to a, a much tighter customer experience. So I really think that that's kind of been the, the guiding principle and uh, a lot of the reason for the success of the firm. Well, that was a great response and thoughtful answer. And uh, if I had more time, there were follow up questions that I'd like to ask you on there. But the one that I will ask you, if you wouldn't mind, is 
it seems to me that that model not only benefiting your customers directly benefits your growth model because it must be a much more efficient uh, and effective platform to to support internally for you, knowing that you have this commonality across all your 2,000-plus customers and not having these special versions of the code for special clients, regardless of how big they are. Absolutely. I, I think we definitely say that this, this sort of new generation, or if you want to call it next generation of SaaS, this pure SaaS generation, exactly. It, it, it doesn't just benefit the customers. I mean, tr- truly, you do get more innovation and better service if you're you know all on one code. But um, the financial model is terrific, and that's something that we're, we're trying to show the marketplace right now. I think there was a a sort of myopic view that, that in the world of SaaS, growth was everything and the only thing. Hmm. Um, and, and people sort of ignored the gross margins to some extent. Certainly they ignored the, uh, the EBITDA and the net margins. Um, and, and I think what we're trying to show is, yes, you know, on a, on a pure SaaS, you, you don't just get better service and renewals, um, but um, our, our company is, is 97% recurring revenue. Uh, so it's a very low professional services, incredible visibility and stability in the firm, um, but terrific gross margins, and, and it's been profitable and debt-free for over a decade. And uh, they're, they're just, uh, I know people do not equate SaaS and profitability, uh, usually in the same sentence, and uh, I, can I think we're big believers that, that it's time to take a look at the bottom line and make sure you got a healthy bottom line and not just a, a healthy top line. Okay, so I'm imagining that there are CEOs of uh, middle market companies out there that are listening and saying, okay, Colin's done a good job of explaining um, the integrity of his business model and the quality of his firm. Help me to understand uh, what it is exactly by partnering with ISOMs that my company is going to get from this SaaS model, but also from the point solutions and the products that you're bringing to the market. So can, can you explain how you're helping HR professionals find, maintain, organize the talents in their company, and also your focus on growing companies. So if you can kind of blend those two answers into one, I would appreciate it here. Colin, thank you. Sure. I, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we're, we're, we're helping companies that are growing to, to essentially, you know, source, recruit, and onboard new talent. Um, so we, we can break our suite apart to address, you know, specific needs that they might have whether it might be just onboarding or just sourcing. Um, but I think it's extremely powerful when we can sort of bring all of the elements together for them. So, uh, you know, if, if, if they want to get out there and source and, you know, want to look beyond just LinkedIn as a tool, uh, we, we have a terrific CRM for them to use. Um, obviously, with the applicant tracking system, we, we just want to make a better recruitment experience. So when the candidate hits your career site and applies for a job and everything to the point where you decide to hire them, or possibly reject them. The experience is just tighter, um, a little bit more candidate-friendly. Um, and uh, and one of the big benefits that we always do throw out there is there's certainly compliance issues as well. So if there's anyone out there thinking about compliance and how do we make sure that we don't just have amazing recruiting processes, but we have compliant uh, processes as well, um, we, we, we certainly make sure that that's part of the suite. I think the more interesting stuff is is recently uh, our industry has just gone through another revolution, just like it did 15 years ago with SaaS. Uh, it's gone through a mobile, uh, a social, a video right. revolution. Right. Um, and the, the stats are incredible. I mean, uh, about 30% of applicants are applying through social, not even using a resume, but applying with LinkedIn and Facebook and Google+. Um, and again, about 30% and rapidly growing are applying off of mobile devices, not even off of desktops. So... We want to make sure that our customers uh, don't just have great back-end tools but are embracing all of these new trends and sort of meeting the candidates' demands. Uh, it's all moving so fast. Every time I have a CEO business owner, and I'm talking with Colin Day, who is CEO and president of ISIMS, technology companies, the rate of change and development within your industry and on your platform, its I get the clear sense it is a lot faster than many of the other guests that I have here on the radio program. <clears throat> and while that's a great advantage for the marketplace, it can be a bit challenging for the leaders of those companies to be bringing the tools to the, to the clients and, you know, in a disciplined way. Uh, I, I guess I'd like to kind of back up just for a second and, and ask a little bit about company culture in that uh, in the work that I do with middle market CEOs, when we look at the culture, one of the places you have to guard your culture is at that point of hiring candidates because you have to 
obviously hire for skills and talents, but you also need to make sure that they're a good fit for the company for a long-term benefit. Uh, how does your how does your platform or does your platform help your clients also take a look at the cultural fit for prospective candidates beyond the talent and skills base that they might possess? Um, we we are absolutely trying to address that. Um, so you know, obviously, we we do host the career site or career section of all of our customers' websites. So uh, we want to make sure that, that that we can help the company clearly sort of express their culture through that career site, uh, so that when people come in, uh, they'll get a good sense of the sort of environment of the company before they apply. I think on the flip side, you, you know, we talk about the industry changing so rapidly. Uh, one of the newer products that we've just actually come out with and incorporated into the suite is is what we call video cover letter. Um, and that really is the chance if you sort of get down to, let's say, five or ten great candidates. They all look terrific on a resume. Um, and you're not sure, again, if you can commit an hour phone call or, or fly them in for each one. Uh, click of a button, send out a request, and uh, these individuals can record a uh, two-minute video cover letter, uh, kind of expressing why they think they're perfect for you, wow. perfect for your culture, perfect for that job. <laughs> um, it's sort of the nirvana. I know when I was a recruiter, this, right. this was a thing I would have loved to have had, right. uh, yeah. which is a chance to kind of see someone's passion and creativity and communications. So uh, it, it's, it's a really exciting new world. Let me ask you a, cult, a culture question and turn it inside on you. Um, as you've led your company and you've grown ISIMS, what care have you taken um, to maintain and enhance the culture that is the culture of your firm? Because my sense is you have a very strong, healthy, vibrant uh, culture, and that just didn't happen by accident, Colin. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we're always thinking about it. It, it. It's sort of one of those things where you you sort of say, hey, a great culture, you, you, you shouldn't have to work too hard at forming it, and, and hopefully it forms organically. Um, I, I like to think that a lot of the culture was, was honestly just set by the DNA of the company, which said, you know, listen, we're not going to be the one that tries to grow the fastest like a shooting star and lose money and then disappear or get sold. Um, we're we're going to be the ones that, that grow steadily, that gets customer service right, that doesn't cut corners when we do software as a service. And, and I, I think it's, you know, you, you show them that you stand for the right things in, in the marketplace, and then eventually, um, you know, you, you get people that kind of really believe in that. Um, I know one thing we've, we've been really good at is, is, is creating sort of a, we call it eye care, uh, but it's a whole program for, for our employees to kind of get involved and, and give back to the local community and the environment. And we do you know, park cleanups and beach sweeps and, and all sorts of really fun things. But it's it's focused, much like this company's focused on talent acquisition. We wanted to sort of channel all that energy in into the environment as we had a, a pretty young uh, employee base. So, uh, um, you know, there's always things that we can do better. Uh, and we're, we're, we're certainly trying. We're getting the, the capability to do it as we become a bit bigger. But, uh, yeah, I think... Uh, culture hopefully was was set early in the dna you must have a fantastic talent acquisition process given the tools and technology and knowledge that your firm possesses you must be able to source some of the best people from all over not just i know in new jersey where you're located but you have people in various states across the country at this point in your company's evolution yeah, I would say, you know, we do, obviously. It's, it's wonderful. We, we eat our own dog food, so to say. But, uh, um, you know, the, the, the irony of it is is that uh, we, we suffer from what all great, you know, growing companies suffer from, which is, you know, finding great, great talent is our number one business challenge. We're, we're about 300 people now. We're, we're expected to add about another 120 uh, this year. Wow. And uh, I'm going to be honest, even even with all the best tools, uh, it's still a challenge. Um, so, uh we're uh, always looking to be inventive, but, yeah, it is an advantage to uh, to have some of that technology. Okay, final question, Colin Day, CEO and President of ISIMS. If someone on the show listening live today or in the future as a podcast says, I would like to learn more about the firm, how do they find you online? Um, well, it's a software as a service company. I would be remiss if I didn't just say. Uh, we try to get everything up on the website. Uh, so uh, you can just go straight to uh, ISIMS, which is I-C-I-M-A-S-M-A-R-Y-S.com, and uh, hopefully everything that you need will be, uh, be right up there. 
Well, I appreciate you staying with us. I did mention that you're in New Jersey. It is, for those that are listening live, you know what's going on on the East Coast. For those that are listening, this is a podcast. We're broadcasting this on January 21st. So go back and check the weather forecast for New Jersey on January 21st. I appreciate you hanging in there and being an interesting guest and talking about your firm. Continued growth and success. Thanks for being a friend of the program, and welcome to the Critical Mass community. Uh, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. All right, Colin. Thank. Have a good day. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Colin Day, president and CEO of ISOMS. Our second guest, David Felkoff, is founder of Adapted Evolution Partners. He's going to be our second guest. We're going to be talking about technology and innovation. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back after these commercial words from our sponsors. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. If you are an Orange County CEO or a business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. These are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO peer groups. CEO peer groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. This is the sound of a flat-screen television hurled off a building. Now the new bike your kid wants. These are the things you could have all cast into oblivion. Because when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have bought with it. Use Energy Star light bulbs and appliances, and you could save hundreds of dollars a year. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from the experiences of our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on our radio shows may be the answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of our show. We delivered over 20,000 highly targeted sponsor impressions last month. To learn more, contact our advertising department at 949 949- 887-4104. All right, ladies and gentlemen, our second guest is here in the studio. As I said before the break, he is David Fieldcoft. He is the founder of Adaptive Evolution Partners, and I've asked him to join the show to discuss the topic of innovation and how adapting to the changing technologies can actually help businesses stay on top of or ahead of the game. David, welcome to Critical Mass Radio Show. Thank you very much. It's great to have you here. Let's start by just looking a little bit backwards in your professional career. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. Uh, 
Uh, my background is in high technology. I have degrees in physics and electrical engineering and have spent most of my career in uh, small tech firms, startup firms in Silicon Valley and here in Southern California. Well, that's an exciting space to be in. It is very exciting. And I mean, I mean, you talk about rapid change and fun things. So that, so I'm excited to have you in the studio as our guest. Um, let's talk now about the company, Adaptive Evolution Partners. Tell us a little bit about the focus and what makes your firm different in the market. Yeah, okay. So Adaptive Evolution Partners is a consulting firm that helps companies develop and implement business innovation strategy. And that includes everything from core value statement to working with innovation teams. And as far as what what differentiates us is uh, my experience in Silicon Valley, as you pointed out, has been working in a place where business cycles have already been at accelerated levels for decades. And I've seen business disruption evolve rapidly uh, over many generations of technologies. And I've seen companies that survive and ones that don't. And for most industries, this is a relatively new environment. Innovation? No, this this rapidly evolving. Oh, yes. Yeah. Technology is touching so many companies now that yeah. we were just the first guest, software as a service company. Right. And we were t- my experience having interviewed close to 800 people on this radio program is when I have people like you and Colin from earlier, those people that are around technology, the rate of change and the demands on constantly being kind of aware of what's going on in the marketplace are much greater than a lot of other manufacturing or other service firms that don't have that rate of change based on technology kind of pushing them forward. Right. And and so what I was getting to on the service is that's actually changing in other segments. I mean, high tech has been in that space and been in that, that, that mindset for a long time. Right. And now other companies, because of, I think because of technology and globalization and other things, are being forced to move at a faster that, rate. That's too. absolutely correct. Yeah. We're we're big fans of social media on this radio show for entrepreneurs and, and middle market companies because it really can be a disruptive influence in the marketplace if you have a strategy behind your a- adoption of social media and how you roll it out. And that's just, in, in my mind, an example of how technology is helping any company to really redefine themselves in the marketplace if they choose to use it. Correct. Great. So let's talk a little bit more about the company. What is the meaning behind the name? Uh, so Adaptive Evolution Partners takes the name from the, national, the natural evolutionary process. In nature, species prosper because of adaptive advantages that provide competitive advantage. And these changes occur through a process of genetic modification. And in business, companies prosper in a similar manner. Only their process is innovation. Interesting. So, okay. So I'm going to go okay, take it. Who do you help? We talked about how technology is touching different industries. Who are you helping? Uh, what industries or what specializations do, does your firm have? You know, if, if I cannot, um, there's something else I wanted to say about the name. Okay. So um, what the metaphor tells us is that companies if, we, companies, if they don't have a process in place that pushes to continually look at small changes and create new products, then... Um, they're at the mercy of competitors who will. Who are more in touch with the subtle yeah, changes yeah, so, in the market. So either, either you choose to innovate, implement an innovation process, or you have to hope that your competitors don't. It's interesting because, uh, you know, there's this saying, grow or die. Right. You know, if you're not growing, you're dying. I, I personally... I have a physical reaction to that because I think that's misguided. I think it's well-intended, but if you're not careful, you can actually grow and die because you can grow yourself out of business if you don't do it with a certain amount of forethought and strategy and profitability. and just We've seen companies who grow too fast and run out of cash, and they end up sure. becoming. So I, I almost think it's a, a more universal saying, might be innovate or die. I think it's true, and I will make a comment. What you said about uh, about grow or die is certainly a good rule, but unfortunately, it's not the only rule, and that's why you, can, <laughs> yeah, you can't be just in service. So, to so that, that's huh? why you, know, right. you have to be careful. That makes sense. So, uh, so that's always true. Thanks for putting a finer point on that. <laughs> yeah, I hope you didn't mind. Not, not at all. I love to collaborate in conversation here. You're listening to Critical Mass Radio Show. Our second guest today on the program is David Felkoft. His company. He's the founder of his company, Adaptive evolution partners and so i was going to ask you what industries or segments are you working with and what services are you offering to those industries and segments 
So mostly we work with with tech and manufacturing, but I, I work with other partners who have um, who have domain expertise in other areas like healthcare or automotive, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And what they do is, is they bring value in, in terms of accelerating um, the implementation of a business innovation strategy. So we're looking for opportunities in other areas. Is having innovation in business hard? Is it counter to what a business is about? Or is it, I mean, my, my, here's why I ask you, David. It, you read a lot, I see a lot, about big companies that struggle to innovate or that when they do innovate, we all celebrate. The culture has allowed this to happen. Right. But it is sort of my bias, and it's, it's out of ignorance, so I'm trying to get you to kind of help me put a little finer point on it. Uh, do you, is your experience, the larger the company, the, the more difficult it is to allow innovation to flourish? No. So, so what happens is there's a process. And you know, a company starts out, it starts out in a garage, and it's usually started by some innovator, and then it grows. And that innovator might not be uh, a good manager and they put in someone else who really is much better at execution than they are at innovation. So what, what tends to happen is people who are good at, you know, who rise in the ranks of growing companies tend to be excellent at execution and may or may not be have skills in innovation. So that's why you see, you know, this thing where, you know, larger companies seem to be unable to innovate because in the growth process, that's what they rewarded. That's what they were looking for. They were looking for execution skills, oh. not innovation skills. So it's sort of a felt self-fulfilling prophecy, huh? Without it maybe even realizing it, you you haven't f- focused on the right aspects. Well, you know, so so now what, what companies need to do is they need to take a look at... I mean, you need both, right? Ultimately, if you want to survive over Makes the long sense. run, you right. need both. Right. So if you see that you're not innovating, then you take a look at management and, and you get help. You say, listen, you know, we need to... Uh, there's nothing new coming out, and you know when you look at companies that are uh, that are uh, thought to be or characterized as, as the most innovative companies in the world, you know often sometimes the management is a combination of a very creative person and mm. an excellent you know, you know, executive. Right. Well, you know the company that I'm most curious about, who I think has certainly been one of the leaders in innovation, is Apple, and losing a force behind them like Steve Jobs. It's uh, for me. I'm I'm watching to see do they continue to be an innovative leader in the marketplace, or do they do they become something else? In other words, how in, how important was that person to their culture of innovation, and did he leave a legacy that protects the innovation as against the operation side? Yeah. So I'm not going to predict the future. Okay. <laughs> but I think it's fair to say that Apple has in place a, an innovation based culture. And, and, you know, and unless they had someone who just totally deviates from it, they should be fine for the foreseeable future. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here <laughs> no first. All right. I'm not saying you should sell, sell, buy or sell Apple stock based on that recommendation, but it's a curiosity, and we certainly have an expert in the field of right. innovation within the firm. So. And if they don't, they can call me. Okay. There you go. <laughs> That's fair. And it, we're going to give his contact information later in the show, so stay tuned okay. for that, ladies and gentlemen. He is David Philkoff. He is the founder of his own firm, Adaptive Evolution Partners. We're going to take our third and final commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. And when we come back, I'm going to ask him to talk about his company, which focuses on creating innovative ways of helping a firm to adapt to the changing technologies and business strategies in order to stay ahead of the game. He's going to give us some examples about that, and we're going to discuss what is innovation, because I think it needs to be a little uh, more explored here on Critical Mass Radio Show. And we're going to do that after these words from our commercial sponsor. There's something uniquely positive about the word up. When things are good, things are looking up. When you want to go fast, you speed up. And when you're really cheering, you stand up. So when you want to move up, what do you do? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's degree or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up better than virtually everyone else. And that university is Brandman. Brandman University is ranked by U.S. News & World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs. And it ranked best in the state of California. Brandman also received top honors from U.S. News & World Report for our online graduate programs in business and education. Plus, our programs are available on ground at more than 25 convenient campuses. 
So to wrap things up, we recommend you look us up at Brandman.edu. That's Brandman.edu. And find out how to move up like never before. Brandman University. Move up. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. This is the sound of a flat-screen television hurled off a building. Now the new bike your kid wants. These are the things you could have all cast into oblivion. Because when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have bought with it. Use Energy Star light bulbs and appliances, and you could save hundreds of dollars a year. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 10,000 shows during the last 30 days. We here at the program appreciate your continued and growing support. All of our shows can be heard live here on radio station octalkradio.net, broadcasting from their state-of-the-art studios in the tech-space facilities in downtown Costa Mesa. I just made that up. I don't even know if Costa Mesa has a downtown, and I don't think that's it if this is. But anyway, we're in Costa Mesa, neither here nor there. Uh, Or you can go to Apple iTunes, Stitcher.com, or other business-oriented podcasting services to find our programs. All right, David Fieldkopf is my guest. He is the founder of his own firm, Adaptive Evolution Partners. We're back from the break, and I guess I'd like to have you help us to understand what is innovation? So a strict definition of innovation is more than just being creative. Innovation involves creating something which provides value and profit, because without the value and profit, it's just a creative project. In a business setting? In a business setting. Okay. Yes. All right. So so for innovation to be, it needs to create value and profit. So can you discuss different types of innovation? Absolutely. And so there, there are two basic types of innovation. One of them is derivative. It's called derivative. And the other is disruptive. And derivative is what we normally see when people add a new feature to a product or something like that. So, you know, the car has uh, better gas mileage or something is bigger or something is smaller or lighter, that sort of thing. Okay. And disruptive innovation is where you change something in the marketplace. And a, and a great example of that is the Apple iPod because it, uh, it disrupted what was you know, then the leader, Sony Walkman. And in doing so, not only they completely changed the technology, but they also changed the user experience. Right. And, and beyond that, they also changed the market primarily for them. And, as, and I think the statistic is 95% of iPod owners had never been Apple customers before. Is it disruptive innovation? Is it clearly better? I mean, when when you look, at, I mean, when you look at the iPod, it's clearly better than a tape based for for most applications in today's world. Does that is that does that come along with a disruptive innovation? Is that it just not only opens up new markets, but it's just so clearly better than what was in the place before that? Yeah. So I can't think of an exception to that. No. So okay. I, so I think that would be the case. Okay. Right? And would would you consider iTunes a derivative innovation or? A disruptive innovation. Actually, iTunes was part and parcel of the whole iPod experience. Okay. Because it was part of the delivery experience. And that was part of it. So it was disruptive because prior to that, you know, what it did was it took people who were, you know, getting free downloads from Napster and made them, give them a chance to be legitimate for 99 cents. I remember when people actually scoffed at the idea that people would be willing to pay for music. If you gave them an easy way to do it with great selection at a reasonable price, which was, I think, the value proposition of the innovation of iTunes, right? Yes, and not only that, but you didn't have to buy an entire CD or an entire album. So, you know, instead of paying $16 or, you know, whatever it was, it was $0.99. Cents. So it was a price point that w- that made it a very disruptive uh, offer. Right, but to bring that to the market, you have to also then change the power base of many 
um, people that are reliant on that revenue stream, right? You have to go back to the record companies and go, hey, this is going to work for you. Trust me. You know, the other model, where is you're better off trusting me that this new innovation is going to serve your needs because they can actually slow your progress down, right, if they're not complicit in helping you bring your innovation to space. Yes, that's absolutely true. And as I recall, uh, just before this was all unveiled, Apple actually bought a... Uh, a music library. <laughs> and so that, that that gave them bargaining. That gave them leverage at the bargaining table. Well, how smart and, is that? And I think it, you know, again, I don't have the details in this. I wasn't party to it. But I believe that the record companies got pretty much what they want in terms of, uh, in, in terms of the price per download. And what that did for Apple is having control of the content that gave them so much leverage that, and, and, the, and the experience was such a desirable experience that that gave them leverage to charge the the big numbers they charge for an iPod. Right. So so let me ask you, uh, I accept the iPod as an as a disruptive innovation. I accept iTunes as a disruptive innovation. Would you consider the iPhone disruptive innovation? No. Why is that? Um is it derivative then? Yeah, you know, we might be splitting hairs here, it's but uh, I don't consider it. Okay. It didn't change my experience as, as a phone user. Okay. And um, and I don't know that it changed other people's experience. Okay. So. Is it common that a company like an Apple can have so many innovations in such a short amount of time? Is the, does In your experience, do companies, they get on this innovative zone and they're like innovating and innovating, or do they innovate and then... They struggle to innovate again. You know what I'm saying. In modern times, in you know, in, in Silicon Valley, companies build that culture into okay. the corporation. Google does. Okay. And Google gives twenty percent, uh, gives their employees twenty percent of their time to work on the project of their choice. Give them the chance to innovate, to meet with other people around, you know, the Google campus. So that's that's something relatively new, and and, and Google produces, you know, more new products than, you know, than we can really think of. So one other comment, just stepping back to the Apple thing. There's also, an, some people uh, categorize innovation as not just disruptive or derivative. Okay. There's actually a middle category. Oh, really? That, that's, um, but, again, I don't want to split hairs, so <laughs> I don't want to get, you know. Right. Uh, but I think um, I think this is important to our audience of CEOs and business owners, $100 right. million, dollars, because um, you can, if you can't, you're not up against Samsung, and you're not up against other titans. You're up against smaller, many times smaller companies, similar size. So if you can find innovation in your space, you can truly get differentiation, I think, a lot quicker because it's so different than what the industry norms of middle market companies kind of are. You know, I guess I have a bias that says there isn't as much innovation. There's a lot of innovation in startups. That's how you get something. Correct. But then it seems the kind of middle market companies, they can lose their innovative way, and maybe the bigger company can bring it back because they can build think tanks and do things. So so I think it's really important that a CEO kind of be in charge of caring for, especially when you said how it's different between people who execute and innovate, the CEO has got to be looking for those innovators and keeping them safe in his, his or her culture. That is absolutely true. That's the prime the prime role of the CEO in innovation is to build it into the culture, to get everyone, uh, virtually everyone, every employee involved in the innovation process. Because innovation is not just products. It's how you ship it, how you sell it, how you store it. You know, you can you can make money, you can build margin on in any of those areas. So so innovation has become a team sport. Our earlier guest said I asked them about his guiding principle and it was that we were they were going to have a very solid customer service model and stay committed to a SaaS model and not have a hybrid. They were going to stay true to the cause and that for him, was their differentiation in the space. And I think that's innovation because they went against the prevailing norms in their industry and said, no, we're going to go this way and we're going to bet on these things and that's going to be different. I mean, I, I look at companies that, uh, Zappos, who sell shoes, their whole innovation, in my mind, is around customer service. Correct. And, and technology that underpins that customer service. Right. But but in terms of the user experience, I mean, which drives their business, the technology is is invisible. They right. just know that it works really well and it's very convenient. So it's all about the experience. Yeah, it doesn't get in the way of the experience, right? right? You exactly. don't get tripped up by the technology. It's so it's so good. It doesn't even 
register that you're dealing with it, which is, I think, the next level of innovation in technology is when it is as easy to use as they make it look like on TV in the commercials, right? When you walk into your smart whatever it is, and it just knows you're there, and you're it's a partner with you to deliver what you want, that's the day that technology really will take us to the next level, I think. Yeah, I think so. And and I think Apple is, is a case in point of that. Their, um, their products have always been famed for being easier to use. Right. Okay. Well, uh, my producer and my engineer are telling me it's time to wrap it up. This has gone by so fast. That was quick. <laughs> and, and I have so many other questions. I'll have to look at my producer and say, we'll have to have you back in the future. But if someone would like to learn more about your firm, how do they find you online? What's your URL? It's www.adaptevolution.com. That's A D. APT evolution.com. We're going to have him back because I think this idea of innovation is soft and squishy, and we need someone with some hard science background and, and experience in the field to help us as CEOs and business owners of mid market companies to get good with the idea of innovation. Final question Do you think a company needs to be able to feel uncomfortable to be able to innovate? Do you understand what I mean? I mean, people need to be out there in an area where it's not, you know, where, where it's not quite understood, where we're challenging some of our prevailing norms, where we're not afraid to bring in something that may even disrupt our main business model. So the answer is yes. I mean, you, you, you know, you see companies, you know, historically companies that have disappeared because they were, they were afraid to disrupt their business model. Digital equipment, which used to be the largest, you know, many viewers might not even remember them, right. you know, the lar second largest computer company in the world. Right. And they're a footnote anymore. Right. They were the preferred platform for engineers and scientists the world around. I mean, that's their products were used for so much innovation <laughs> and then they right they 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 chose to not disrupt they chose to not take that path they chose to you know hang in there and you know hang on to the pier while the big wave was coming in and try to ride it out right because they knew better yeah right not, not really all right well that you're hearing just some of the wisdom and knowledge of david fieldcoft and i'm so glad that you were able to be flexible with me and let me take this conversation in another direction than what we had thought we were going to talk about. But trust me, ladies and gentlemen, what we thought we were talking about was equally as interesting, and we're going to do that again here on a radio program at some future date. So I'd like to thank my engineer for today's show, who was Paul Roberts. I'd like to thank our producer, Crystal Nunley, who's sitting here as well. I'd like to thank our guest coordinator out there, Kathleen Shepard, our social media manager, uh, Asia Celestino, and I'm your host, Rick Franzi, saying, until the next show, I hope all of your decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You've been listening to Critical Mass, a radio show right here on Orange County's only community radio station, OCTalkRadio.net. <laughs>